hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Grassroots Church Roundtable Podcast, a podcast that is simply a discussion between a couple of local church leaders. Today, we're back in the 1689, chapter 1, paragraphs 9 and 10. Give us a moment to get to that. But in the meantime, hi, I am Adam, the A-game, Adam Bailey. I'm an elder grassroots church here in the lovely Greenbrier Valley, West Virginia, joined again, as always, by the main man, Himself, the lead elder of Grassroots Church, Darren Cherry. Hi, Darren. Howdy. It's been two weeks. Just, how was your Thanksgiving? It was good. I, I didn't tell you this morning at the Wild Beam, but um, we went down to North Carolina because my parents moved there. My sister, my grandma, they all live right next to my brother and his family now, so we, we all convene there. Dude, 70 degrees, sunny. We're sitting outside. We ate Thanksgiving Dinner, lunch. We, we ate at like two. It was like a weird time, but uh, we ate at two. Out at out on the back porch, like it was just. And then we're here today, and it's not even above freezing yet. And oh, well, it was pretty warm here during Thanksgiving as well. We were outside a little bit, but the kids. It was very comfortable. But I'm happy that your Thanksgiving was a success. When we came in on Sunday morning for an elders meeting. That's my first question for you. How are your four Fs? <laughs> poor, poor Mark. I was like, what? He, he had no clue. That's what he gets for not listening to the podcast. I know. It's on him. We're not even going to explain the four Fs. Friends, if you don't know what we're talking about, shame on you. You should have listened to last week's podcast. Oh, it dropped. A lot of turkey. Although, we, I don't have any leftovers from the two Thanksgiving dinners that I had, one with my in-laws the Saturday before Thanksgiving and our actual family's Thanksgiving that Thursday. I didn't bring home any leftovers, so I can't. We we don't get to do the leftover turkey sandwich. I was gonna ask, is are there no leftovers because you've already eaten them all because you didn't bring any home? But I told my wife on the way home. I told Kelly, I was like, we don't have leftovers. Like we don't because we travel. We don't bring any home. So mm. that is kind of that's kind of sad. Maybe one day this winter when we get really bored, you and I will cook a turkey. Can we deep fry one? Do we know anybody with a deep fryer? Like a turkey fryer? Not around here. Friends, if you know someone with an air fryer, Darren and I need something to do one day. Yeah, I want to deep fry turkey in those things that basically catch people's houses on fire, but we'll do it smart where we don't. Because my parents do that, but they're in Ironton. Mm. They're deep frying turkey for uh, Christmas. Ooh. Mom sent me the Christmas menu. Because that's what I do. I text my mommy our menus. It's a part of our relationship. Seriously, <laughs> I'll text mom and be like, hey, I'm making chili tonight with grilled cheese. And here's how I'm doing it. And send her a link. She's like, that sounds great. I'm making a pot roast. So we trade recipes. <laughs> Is that okay? It's totally okay. Is it okay? <laughs> it's the way you connect with your mother. That's awesome. And I'll tell you this. One other reason why I did not bring home uh, leftovers. There's a, I'm... I'm sick of other people's Tupperware. I think we need to get to a point where if I'm at your house <laughs> and you made dinner and you have to send leftovers with me, you insist and you give me your Tupperware, I'm taking the Tupperware. Because these texts six months later is like, hey, bring this back. Sorry, Mom, I am calling you out on this too. <laughs> it's like you gave, you gave it to me and hey. I don't know which one it is. And that's why it's so nice that Whatever company made that, they made that kind of cheaper Tupperware that's made to not care if you get it back. That stuff's awesome because you don't feel bad throwing it away. You can reuse it if you want. 
and you never feel like you have to take it back. That is nice. Has that ever happened to you and Kelly, though, where someone in your family texts you out of the blue and it's like, hey, where's my cake pan? It's like, what cake pan? The one I gave you when you took home cake. It's like, no, there usually, was no pan. Usually it's her and her mom want to say, oh, here, I, I have that you know, pie plate. No, oh, I forgot you had that. That's usually the way it goes between them. No, that's not how my family goes. <laughs> Our <laughs> they, family is more... You, you have to sign it out, and they've got a record. Gosh. <laughs> they check it my, every month. My grandma, Nana, loving Nana, she would randomly, because we, we grew up living next to my grandparents. We lived in the same plot of land. And Nana would go on this thing for like a two-day, like I'm focused on this until it gets resolved. You got my, you got my good baking sheet or something. It's like, Nana, we don't have it. And she'll come over and start looking through stuff. But this, so maybe this is just my family, but with in-law, I, I, I feel as though I have a lot of my in-laws Tupperware and they will text me randomly like a year later, be like, I need a Tupperware, the green one with the lid. It's like, yeah, I probably threw that away and I'll give you five bucks to get a new one. Just buy a new one. It's five bucks. It's a pan. You know what though? We have pan. to remember that our grandparents lived through the Great Depression lived with parents that lived through the Great Depression, and they I'm knew of, how to make things last. I'm tired of excuses. So, so tired we, have of these excuses. Give, we have to give understanding. And she didn't grow up in the Great Depression. If she Excuse. didn't, her parents did. Her parents did, yes. Which meant she grew up with them. My mama Sigmund. How old is she? Do you know? My nana? Yeah. Uh, let's see, born in 38. Okay, so that's, that's right after the Great Depression? 82, I believe. Yeah, pretty much. It depends on when you want to say the Great Depression ended. Probably World War II. So, yeah, right, right towards the end. Because it's like they might not have been alive at the Great Depression, but they grew up with parents that were in it, and they learned how to make things last. And she had a, a very interesting childhood. I remember talking to her and my other grandparents. Well, she's unfor- She's my only remaining grandparent. Uh, and I'm, I miss being able to ask them questions because I know more about history than I ever have before. And it, I love it so much. And I want to know more about their personal experiences. And I don't think anyone in my family kept a journal. But I remember Nana, when I was a kid, telling stories about how during World War II, she doesn't really remember it, but she remembers being afraid of something in the sky. Imagine that. Being like two years old in 1940, you know, and then living through the war, post-war, the nucle- beginning of the nuclear age, and this elderly lady, the one thing she remembers from being a child is that there was something scary in the sky. That's so honest. And we know now in hindsight, it's like, yeah, nuclear bombs. Did you, did you grow up in elementary school doing uh, bomb threat uh, <laughs> drills? No, did you? Yeah, like. Like I could, well, you were a Cold War kid. Yeah, and that's what I, re- I didn't realize until, actually, honestly, not long ago, that that was, that was a weird thing. But to us, it was normal. You have fire drills. Oh, the alarm goes off. Oh, all right, everybody, line up, and we go out to our designated space, and then you have to stay lined up, and you know they take your count. It's a fire drill. You do that. Grab your AK, and then. We had the ones where there were specific spots in our elementary school that were going to be better uh, to be in. And so we had to, I remember one year mine was to get to the school kitchen and to, you get down 
and you put your legs the best you can between, as a kid, it's a lot easier, between your knees and put your hands over your head and like a butt, like hold your back of your head and, and just protect. And we went through that. But do you know what I, I'm sure they have in schools now that we never did? Shooting drills. Active shooter drills. And so it's like, it's just generational things, man. Yeah. Generation. But I will say, my, uh, my great-grandpa, I remember talking with him and realizing, like, he, he talked about the invention and progression of the airplane. Like, we just, yeah, planes exist. But for him, it's like he remembers the progression of that. And it's crazy. Yeah. And, and he lived, he did live through, you know, multiple wars and he did live through the great depression and, and it's like amazing people. Cause you have this, I'm not saying I reject the mainstream historical narrative, but I do believe that there are better ways to approach it because history is a story and you got to be personal about it. Like we try so hard to pick out themes and patterns and complicated, apply the scientific method to historic research. But in the end, it's about people and people doing things, their thoughts and feelings towards those actions. That being said, I, I, I work in a bunker. I'm, I know Cold War pretty well intellectually, but I rarely get to talk to family members like i would love i can't do it now but i want to talk to someone in my family about sputnik i was like man when they shot that thing up in 57 what did you think like oh man i put stuff in you know what i don't know but i think history is more accurate and it's more beautiful and complex and just let people tell their stories stop trying to pick these patterns out people and their stories that's history well you and i can do this um well i uh let me see try to think out yeah you could do this uh I'm gonna let you take your drink of your hot chocolate there, because I wanna. I'm gonna ask a that question. That last bit's the best. Oh man, kind of water. Like, I didn't ooh. stir it up enough. Mm. Oh, it's oh, it golden. So, just real quick off the top of your head, uh, where were you? Nine eleven. School. Okay. If you were alive at that time and can remember it, you remember that. And I think we've talked about this before. That you talk to certain people, the JFK shooting. People remember where they were when that happened. Um, the moon landing. People remember where they were when that happened. Sputnik. People were, these are major things that happened. Uh, Hiroshima. You know, like people remember when they when they heard the news, things like that. And so, yeah, history is. Have you ever been on a bunker tour, doing a bunker tour, and and somebody who is a little bit older was. I know some people have like accused you of working for the government, and you only you only say what they tell you to say. <laughs> CNN. Yeah. Uh, have you ever had any of them go? Yeah, I remember during the Cold War, this is what happened. And the, have you ever had anybody you've been able to talk to with like that? I do, and that's one reason why I love that position is that I get to hear people's stories from really for, for two different topics. One is their experience during the Cold War, and there are some patterns and themes. Don't get me wrong. But they'll tell you stories like, yeah, Dad, I remember we bought a house when I was five, and they had a bunker in the back, and it's just like the bunker of this and that uh, advertisement that you have. Uh, so you get that aspect of it, but also because it's a seek was a secret government facility, I get to learn so much about regional conspiracy theories and from have, all these like little small towns. And have you ever awesome. had somebody come through that helped build it? 
Mm, not the actual construction. That would be cool. I, no, I, I think a lot of the individuals who were a part of that have passed on. That would be cool, Because they'd be though. in their 90s about now. But I have heard someone, like, you know, my dad worked for AT&T, and he was here for a long time in the early 60s. That's, I'm sorry, that would just be, be well, you're like walking through and somebody's like, oh, raise their hand, yeah, sir or ma'am. They're like, yeah, this is the part I built. Be like, wait, what? Come on up. You're going to finish the tour. <laughs> oh, that's like whenever you run into the government administrators, not elected officials for the federal government, but the, the lifetime employees, I love them so much because by the way that they'll phrase questions and the specific words they choose, like they'll ask me a question and just hearing them ask the question in that way, I'm like, oh, you know way more than me. I've got nothing. I have nothing. Somebody so asks a question and you automatically go, yeah, they totally work for the government. Oh, it's so humbling. So get this. True story. We'll get to our topic here in a second. But stuff like this happens all the time. And I'm very blessed to be in my position, like I said. Working in the museum one time, it's a really nice family, like a large family, probably had about a dozen of them. Uh, patriarch and matriarch, the grandparents, very well-dressed. And this guy just starts talking to me about different presidents and all this random stuff. And eventually I asked him, like, I'm sorry, you ask questions, I don't know. Are you a presidential historian? He's like, oh, no, I just have a keen interest in it. And his wife comes up and she's like, he's a fed. I'm like, oh, is that right? He's like, it's really nothing. I was like, well, what do you do? Now we're here. So he works in the White House on staff. He's like, well, I don't really do too much. But it, here's a White House staffer over here asking me questions about presidents. It's like, what is this world? It's very humbling. And I learn a lot from it. Well, and that's, it's easy. I think the older we get, the more we appreciate it when we're younger. We don't as much because when you're younger, you do tend to live in the moment more. Um, history does matter. And history is fun. History is not boring. It is fun. And I, I think that's one of the reasons even that we're going through the 1689 is I, I was listening to a church history podcast our, our video um, lesson series, and this guy was like, a lot of people believe that you have the, the early church of Acts and then the epistles, and then there's just nothing that happens until Martin Luther and the Reformation. And it's like, I, I have to be honest that maybe not to that degree, but I think I've been there where I'm like, yeah, like we have the church today and the church in the Bible, but there are thousands of years in between of the church. Like, does it have its screw-ups? Absolutely. It's divisions. It's heresy in a lot of ways. But the church has always, in some way or another, God has brought it through. And things like the 1689, you know, 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith, which is the second London, is like, this is one of the markers of you know, four to 500 years ago of the church still being the church and, and active. So it's, it's fun. They're wrestling with the same things we are. And one other thing, uh, think about my, my papa, uh, shoemate. He passed away last September, but he was in Korea. And he was not a very open person, but he would always talk to me because I asked the questions. And I think he liked me better than everybody else. But That's because you asked the questions. I did. It was like, oh, you're in Korea? So, you know, we think Korean War 
you know, Douglas MacArthur ignoring orders from the president, going into North Korea, establishing what is a 38 parallel, the demilitarized zone, like crazy war scenes. And it's like, hey, Papa, you were in Korea? Yeah. What was it like? Ah, boring. Really? What'd you do? Sat on a train? It's like, so you didn't really do anything? I was on the cleanup crew. It's like, that's funny. Like, I mean, respect him entirely for his service. <laughs> he oh, got yeah. drafted. But that's his perspective. That's true. Like, that's a person's story and their opinion of what happened. And now, you know, being an adult, I know more about the overall conflict and war. So we need to listen to – ask questions. Young people, ask questions. Old folks, be patient. Don't condescend them, younger people, for being ignorant. They don't know. They know not what they ask. Hey, listen. I am never upset at somebody that asks questions because it's like if you're asking, it means you want to know. And ask the right questions. What was that? What was that from? Now that is the right question. Um, I, ro- I robot. I robot. Yeah. What revolution? Now that is the right <laughs> question. That's a great movie. Great movie. Grassrootswv.com. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We appreciate everyone's feedback. We actually have a couple episodes lined up where we're just going to be answering questions. Don't want to give too much away, but let's just say one is a, <clears throat> a bit of a gamble. Oh. And then we have another coming up, which is going to be spicy. Hot it's going to be spicy. Yeah. It's going to be ouchy. But in a good way. We're going to try to be very gracious and, and humble in approaching it. Oh, I'm going in like a barbarian. I'm bull in the china shop. No. You're going you're gonna to treat it just like a man would. You know me. I am biased. I've got that testosterone bias. But we appreciate everyone's feedback. If you all have any questions about anything we discuss, or if you have topics, topics you would like us just to talk about. And i got to tell it, they have nailed it with the topics they've asked for. Like, they've been really good. Like You asked the right questions. I am appreciating and enjoying the study that has been required to be able to, you know, bring a good discussion. Another reason why asking questions is a good thing because it lets the teacher or instructor know where they are in communicating that information. So even if if someone wants to ask a question to a pastor, to us, whomever, like, I don't know, it's a dumb question. They might, no, we need to know. Like, if there's something unanswered, let us know because we might not be, we might not be communicating as we should. But let us know, keep the information coming. 1689, the second London Baptist confession of that year, the year of our Lord. We're finishing up chapter one, Darren. Yeah. On the, Holy on scripture. scripture. If you don't know anything about the, the 1689, why we're covering anything, we did a, a, a podcast a number of weeks ago. You can just look back. It's called 1689 Intro, and you can hear about that. And one, one uh, aspect of this study that I'm enjoying that I wasn't really expecting, love American colonial history. Love the Puritans. I love early 18th century Americana leading up to the revolution, like French and Indian War. I love all of that. So imagine, listener, friend, friend who's listening, woo, uh, imagine you're a Christian in the late 1600s wrestling with the same questions we are wrestling with now. It's like, well, who are we? Who is God? What, what do we do? What do we believe? Let's come together and put down what it is that we believe. Very applicable to us because that Puritan mindset had a 
large influence on American colonial identity, which led to, it was one massive aspect of the revolution. And then in the Constitution, we have a revolutionary concept itself, the separation of church and state. So if you want to understand how our country started, the heart behind our country, man, study this theology and the history surrounding it. It is so good. It is so good to my friends. Sorry, Darren. I am rambly. <laughs> no, it, it... Our very topic today, the very two paragraphs that we're covering, um, paragraph 9 and 10 in chapter 1 on the, the Scripture, the very two topics explain why we love the 1689 and why we love having confessions. And um, we are a, a creedal and confessional people. And, uh, and so, but I, I love what they did in these two paragraphs to make sure that we start where we should in what we believe, why we believe, how we believe it, and how we back up what we believe. I, I love these two paragraphs. To quote Coldplay, I'm going back to the start. You know that song? I, I to my knowledge... To my knowledge, have never heard a Coldplay song. I've never listened to them. Oh, you're blessed, maybe. <laughs> I like Coldplay. I, there's a lot of people to do. I've just, it's kind of like, like the Beatles. Um, I've never actively listened to them. I've heard songs of them and by them. I've never really listened uh, to them. These people, they have ears but do not hear. I guess that's a Beatles song? Or? No, it's Bible. Oh, no, that is a Bible. Wow, I've. These people. I, I, now I can't tell you where it's at, but I know it's in there. It is biblical. I mean, I thought you were like trying to quote Beatles or something. <laughs> wow, I, I, I look like an idiot. Oh, now. I, I can't really quote the Beatles. <laughs> I, I'm, I've listened to their their entire discography, but it doesn't really amount to much. I'm not a Beatle guy. I like them, but I'm, I'm yeah. not crazy about them. I don't venerate the Beatles. People are gonna now the Rolling Stones. Can't say I've listened to them. I watched the biography on them. Crazy. Sixties, man. That was nuts. Sixteen eighty nine. That's what we're at. You want me to read paragraph nine? Please do, sir. This is what it says. This is chapter one, paragraph nine of the sixteen eighty nine uh six confession and it's on the Holy Scripture it says the infallible rule of interpretation of scripture is the scripture itself. And therefore, when there is a question about the true and full sense of any scripture, which are not human but one, which are not sorry, I don't want to say it, which are not human, human ah. which are not many but one, I don't know why I said human. Uh, it must be searched by other places that speak more clearly. What does that mean? That means, Darren, that if you come across a certain passage in scripture and you think. What? Oh, that's not a lot of information about that. I need more information about this. I'm trying to think of an example. Uh, virtues. Okay, here we go. So in Second uh, Peter, chapter one, talks about you know supplement your faith with virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness. But anyway, it starts with virtue. It's like, well, okay. It just says virtue and then continues on. It's like, well, what, what about this virtue that I'm supposed to enact to supplement faith? And it's like, where, where, it doesn't expound upon it there. 
But I can go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and read about faith, hope, love. It's called charity in that. But in that part of Scripture in 1 Corinthians 13, it helps expound upon a principle that was mentioned in a different part. It provides more clarity, definition, and meaning. So instead of reading something like, oh, no, okay, just supplement my faith with, there we go again. Supplement my faith with virtue. Let me Google virtue. Let me see what YouTube says about virtue. And it's like, oh, here's a random dude on TikTok being virtuous. It's like instead of putting your faith in believing that line of thinking, let Scripture affirm itself. Yeah, uh, the way we've always heard is Scripture interprets Scripture. Um, a lot of people don't like that idea, um, and I'll tell you why, because they go, wait a minute, how does, how does a book interpret itself? And there would be the first mistake in that line of thinking is the Bible, while we call it a book, um, is not like the typical book you read. It is instead a collection of um, historical accounts, poetry, uh, wisdom, prophecy, uh, narrative and epistles that come together to make a book and written by 40-some different authors over a 1,500-year period. And so you're not using the book to interpret itself. You're using Scripture to interpret itself. And that's what you mentioned, Peter. Second Peter 1, 20 and 21 says, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of men, hmm. uh, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so it's like, okay, we have Scripture because it was all written by God. But then Acts 15, 15 and 16 says, And with this the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, After this I will return. And I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it. He's talking about the prophets agree, like prophets agree because the scripture interprets scripture. The the prophetic word would come, and then another prophetic word, and they agreed. Uh, they separated by hundreds of years. Yeah, and so not even knowing that the other person was writing anything, understanding that it helps us to go uh, why. How can I know more about this? How can I learn? And that's what you were like, what is a virtue? Oh, okay, well, check out the rest of Scripture and, and then put it all together. Yeah, because Thomas Aquinas, speaking of uh, medieval theology this often looked over, Thomas Aquinas is a 13th century philosopher, priest, theologian. He, uh, he was the one that kind of coined the, uh, the seven virtues, three of which are the Christian virtues and then the other four the pagan virtues. But there's another larger concept at play here, too. A couple years ago, I let our, Bibles, I let our small group, woo, I let our small group through a Bible study. See, he, led, you see, he led his Bible study through a small group. <laughs> do, you see, do you see how I messed up there? But uh, it was um, Ray Comfort, and I forgot the other, other person. It was on apologetics. Uh, there's this idea called presuppositionalism, presupposition. Because here in the West, culturally, the West, Europe, United States, the rational, scientific West is rational, whereas the East tends to be more 
mystic, spiritual, mystical. Yeah, yeah. This that's the oh, that's an oversimplification, but those two elements are at play when you're comparing East versus West. And in the West, you it is a logical fallacy, a logical error to engage in circular reasoning, cyclical reasoning, which is presupposition. Here's the issue that Christians face, is that how do we know that the Bible is influenced by the Holy Spirit? Well, the Bible says so. Because you have to land somewhere. You have to have a bedrock foundation to land on. And for Christians, it has to be Scripture, no other cultural, political, social, no other influence the bedrock of our foundational beliefs have to go to Scripture. You have to presuppose. That's why those outside the church and in you know mainstream circles in the United States, it's like, well, how do you know that the Bible is true? Look at all these errors. It's like, uh, because Scripture says it's true, and Scripture is the final authority. And if Scripture says all Scripture is God-breathed, it is. And, and that makes sense to someone who presupposes. They're coming at it from a certain standpoint perspective or foundation bedrock and that's the presupposition yeah the presupposition for us is scripture is god breathed inspired by the holy spirit infallible inerrant and our our landing point for everything the presupposition from somebody who's not a christian coming at scripture can be uh maybe it's a historical book um, but it's not yeah, maybe God no, breathed. Maybe yeah. Exodus was an allegory. Yeah, we they step towards the scripture already with a mindset of what it is. That's what a presupposition oh, but, is. But that's the thing. You cannot call that's the logical fallacy. The greater one is not a logical fallacy to presuppose. It's a logical fallacy to not recognize the fact that everybody has presuppositions. Yeah, we call it personal context. <laughs> It's, it's a background. It's, I've, I've been telling my group as we've been going through this Bible Study Simplified series that all of our groups are going through right now um, that my personal context, the way I've been raised, is I go to the legalistic side really quick. I read Scripture, and what I'm trying to get to is tell me what to do. Give me the, the checkpoints to fulfill in order to you know, be a good Christian. And that's the legalistic side. But that's because that's my personal context. It's what I was raised in. It's a default. And so we, we all have that. We all have presuppositions. Like we, we all come to it with an idea of what it's going to say. But that's what makes Scripture special is as we dig in and as we learn, our hearts and minds are shaped. And it also helps to see Scripture as one whole work. And you have to place the different passages in every different passages, chapters, books, in the proper context. Context, yeah, context, 1689, context. They were talking about it back in the late 17th century, and uh, we're still talking about it today. Like, let Scripture interpret itself. We, let's put aside our own feelings and just believe in what that says. Well, and Yay. if I could encourage everybody in a couple things there, um, one is what Scripture does is it grounds us. It all weekend us. without television, <laughs> no snacks. Because of our bad attitudes. Because we need discipline. Um, it, it tethers us to truth, where a lot of times we can get in our own heads, um, feelings, and, and start to, to float a certain direction that is not uh, God-honoring, not biblical, even though we can convince ourselves that it, it is. Um, scripture then tethers us back. 
uh, and go, no, 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 that's why God gave us his word. He's like, no, no, go, go this direction. And a lot of times the way we're trying to figure that out, we look at a scripture and go, what in the world does that mean? And so what we want to do is spend the next hour, few days just thinking about it. And it's like, think about it, but also go to other scripture and, and let the rest of scripture inform your thoughts and feelings on what you're uh, trying to interpret and understand. Um, and then the, the encouragement behind that is a, a large portion of people will be like, well, you're just basing your entire worldview and belief system on this old book, this ancient book that you don't even know about. And to that I would go, yes, if I didn't base it on that, then I'm just going to base it on my feelings. And I've only been alive for 41 years. And I really don't trust the way I feel sometimes. And I have thoughts that I'm like, I think that's a pretty solid thought. And then I talk to somebody and I go, wow, my solid thought was not solid at all. I didn't have proper understanding of that. And so I would rather base it off of this ancient text that has proven itself as that, uh, what's that, old, what's that hymn, uh, you proved yourself or and or, um, oh, come on, now it's going to, I'll be thinking about it soon. to hum it. Yep, I'll, I'll get to it. But, uh, but it's like, it's proven itself, and so I'd rather be tethered to that than my fallible way of thinking and feeling. I agree. I don't trust the way I feel either. I've I've said that before. I you thought you were going to say I don't trust group. the way you feel. Like, I don't oh, trust the way you feel, man. I understand. You ign- I understand. Enigmatic. I think that's a word. <laughs> Ready for paragraph ten? No, because I'm looking up that song. Oh, or or. Oh, are you saying or 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 o e r or or? O o apostrophe e r. Oh oh. How I proved him or and or. Oh. Uh, Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. It's, yes. Gotcha. There it is. Dude. I do that too sometimes where I, well, yeah, occasionally lose patience, lose my temper, anything back a few minutes after that episode. It's like, who was Hold that? On. He's I, not a doctor. So when he says lose patience, I've lost a few. It's totally different than what you might have thought. It's the war, man. It's the war. The grind. Do you ever have that happen where you engage in a behavior? That you know is wrong, but you convinced yourself it's okay. And you look back 10 minutes later, it's like, I don't like that. I don't know who that was. I did not have control. Hate yourself for it. There was a, actually, it might be in Second Peter. I, I, I told you, I went to Second Peter, and it all started with that reference in, uh, in paragraph nine. But Second Peter, Peter, at the end of chapter three, I believe, mentions that sin that controls you overtakes you. Like it control, like it's acting through you. That's important because without scripture, the world, the flesh would be like, well, that's just who you are. You had a right to lose your temper and to say those words. They made you upset. They were wrong. Scripture you go to and it's like, no, if you, you, you have anger in your heart, you might as well be a murder. Like that's where it starts. Yeah, that culture and now it's of the like, world. I got to repent. I got to ask for forgiveness. I got to try to work on this. But the world be like, don't work on that. You're fine. Who cares what people think? You're your own person. Yeah, I I, I find it no tethering humorous when I when I talk to my kids, um, or even doing like maybe some marriage counseling. 
uh, people be like, yeah, I've got to own my own actions, but they, and it's like, you're not owning your own actions if everything you're about to say is, if they would just stop doing this, then I wouldn't do that. And it's like, that's the culture of today. Mm. Um, but yeah, it, it's definitely tethering ourselves to Scripture and, and, and locking in there uh, and letting it interpret itself. I, I love that paragraph. But, I, okay, real quick, uh, please don't be angry at me, anybody, for saying this. I grew up hating the hymns hating the hymns, but it's because we did the piano organ, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, verse, chorus. Next song, piano organ, verse, chorus, verse, chorus. But there has been this resurgence of hymns that have been put to updated instrumentation, drums, guitar, keyboard, stuff like, dude, I'm pretty obsessed. Oh, I know. To hear someone rock out to come by fount. Oh. Like rhythm, lead guitar, drums, bass, three vocalists. What the doxology? Boosh. The two churches I was a part of before planting grassroots always did the doxology after taking up the offering. And I grew to hate the doxology because it was so boring and we did it every week. And then I heard a I was at a conference and the worship team did the doxology and I was like that song came alive to me. I was like, I love the doxology. Maybe you're just growing up. I'm, I am. Growing finally, up. Finally. All right. You want paragraph 10? I want that paragraph. No. I want that pair of graphs. Not doing it. Break it down. Okay. Here we go. Bar graph. Paragraph 10. Circle graph. Paragraph. 10. Skin graph. The, oh, 10. Is it graphed or graph? I have no idea, actually. Uh, the Supreme Judge by which all controversies of religion are to be determined and all decrees of councils, that's actually a huge line right there, all decrees of councils, opinions of ancient writers, doctrines of men and private spirits are to be examined and in whose sentence we are to rest can be no other but the Holy Scripture delivered by the Spirit into which Scripture so delivered our faith is finally resolved. Wow. wow. And that means I'm going to take a shot in the dark here. If someone comes to us and says, I have a concern about something you've been teaching, we're not going to use Tim Keller to prove our point, try not to, or John Piper, Alistair Begg. It's got to be Scripture. Those opinions on religion, those thoughts, you got, scripture has to be involved in that. So, and I think, Darren, you've done, you've done a great job as lead pastor. That is very instilled, even in something less study-wise, but more business. Like, there are references to scripture with our mission, vision, like, everything goes back. So, if someone was to bring an objection with a part of our constitution and bylaws, it's like, well, here's where we're coming at from scripture, and they're like, well, but this other church is like, we're coming from Scripture. That other church is the other church. Like, we are here, starting there and ending there with what Scripture says. All questions about opinions, decrees on councils. Did the 1689 just be like, <laughs> hey, we ain't perfect? I love that because even they are writing a, a full confession or actually even uh, tweaking you know, it's a second London confession, so uh, they're just tweaking the first one. But uh, and they were like, "Listen, this this 
Confession is not the end-all, be-all. Like, you cannot come to the confession to get your beliefs. What the confession does, or, or somebody like Keller or Piper, or if you listen to um, Matt Chandler or, uh, golly, Billy Graham, you know, just people over the years, when you listen to them, uh, what, what that should do is point you to Scripture. One of the cool things to do is, is look in Scripture, and you come to a, uh, a resting point of, uh, of a doctrine of something you believe, and from there, you track back and you see that, oh, you know, uh, somebody like Alistair Begg, he said something. It's like, oh, he, he's, he's affirming what I see in Scripture. And then you go back and you see, you know, that Charles Spurgeon, oh, he is affirming what I see in Scripture. And you track further back and you see Augustine is affirming what you see. And it's that's cool to see because it shows the Jesus church. reaffirming Scripture? <laughs> yeah, like it, it shows you that the church over the years has, has had its schisms and its divisions, but ultimately there has been this line of truth that has maintained. And it's a lot of fun to see that. But every single one of those resources, be it a confession, be it a pastor, be it a book you're reading, should be pointing you to Scripture and going, here's why I'm saying what I'm saying. I heard a pastor. Actually, I'll just tell you, Andy Stanley. Uh, I'm just going to call him out on our little podcast here uh, just in case people are listening to him. I would tell you don't worry about that anymore. Uh, Find somebody else because I have seen him stand in front of his church, because I used to listen to a lot of his preaching, and I, I have seen him stand in front of his church and say, today's not really going to be a sermon, but more of a rant. And then he takes an half an, a half an hour to, quote-unquote, preach and never open Scripture. That is, that is dangerous and destructive, and, and, and so it's things like that that I'm like, anything that I would say to you or somebody I'm talking to, if I'm encouraging you to land somewhere biblically or relationally or just um, how we interact as the church, and the, it should be backed up like, hey, here's why I land there biblically. And, and so that's what I love. I love this, this statement. And, and I'll read... Um, the words of Jesus, Matthew twenty two twenty nine. he said, but Jesus answered them, you are wrong because you know neither the scripture nor the power of God. And then Paul in Ephesians talks about how the church and the Christian faith is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So it's like all the writings of the New Testament are the apostles and prophets, but Jesus is the cornerstone. Dude, let scripture be the final landing spot. And I'm very happy to be a part of a local church that seeks biblical truth and biblical authority. Like, I love the fact that you know, we have Institute, Doctrine, Bible Study Simplified. Like, how can we... And friends, I would encourage you all, too. It's like, make, make it personal. Your relationship with Scripture and to the Holy Spirit, 
like do it your own. Like make this is like it's you. And I think people fall under that. It's like, well, I'm in the you know so and so camp of the all. I'm in so. It's like no, think about it yourself. Because even if you, everyone knows something about the Bible. Start there. If you have a question, do it yourself. Do, with what you know, prayerfully, with discretion, go to the Bible and seek your answer. You'll find something there, and it's going to be awesome. And I, I think we fell on that. It's like. The con- we shouldn't have confidence in ourselves. We should have confidence in the Spirit, no matter what our intellectual level, academic level may be. It doesn't matter where you're at, how much of the Bible you've read. Like, start now. Mm. If you have a question about something, um, what were we talking about a moment ago? Uh, traditions. Let's just say, are traditions good or bad? Now, 100% of people are going to give you an opinion. 100% of them. Yep. Uh, and you know, let's make sure Grassroots Church does not become an echo chamber for someone else, but rather an individual being like, so the other day I had a question about that. So I went into Timothy, you know, where I was talking about traditions and started comparing that language to other parts of Scripture, and I did find one key difference. You know, what I'm trying to say is you know something about Scripture already. If you have a question, concern, need an air of growth, like prayerfully, to get in there. Yeah. And if you need help, holla. Well, it, you know one of the most flattering... A Darren. <laughs> well, you know one of the most flattering things... That can be said, but also one that makes me cringe is when I'm talking to somebody from grassroots here that says, yeah, I was talking with my coworker, family member, friend or something, and we got to talking on the subject, and I told them what you always say, Darren, and they use some, some quote, and that is super flattering, but it also makes me cringe because I'd rather them go, yeah, and I told them that, you know, the Apostle Paul said in Colossians, or, you know, you remember what we were talking about, you know, we learning judges when, you know, Gideon, and it's like, I'd rather hear that than I told him. My pastor always said, don't, please don't do that. No, that person asked you that question. That is your opportunity to speak truth in someone's life. Trust, trust the spirit, not Darren. Please, 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 please. I'm speaking on your behalf as a a brother who loves you. And, and please know that there's, there's times that I feel very inadequate because somebody will come to me with a question or, or a life situation, and I got nothing for them because in that moment, I just don't hear anything coming to my heart biblically. And I'm like, I'm not going to give them anything that I can't tie to Scripture. Mm-hmm. And, and I feel very inadequate in those moments, but I'd rather just feel inadequate than go, well, try this. And it, and it turns out to not be a very God-honoring thing. Yeah, keep a journal. <laughs> yeah, so, so my thing, I do want to encourage people, um, take the mask off and be willing to ask questions. You don't have to feel like you don't. The Bible study simplified that we're going through, our group, I have really enjoyed the conversation around that and, and the transparency and the honesty of some people going, I just don't know as much, but I'm really enjoying learning this and this. And, and then you hear those people who say they don't know much bring something up biblically, Scripture, and you're like, well, they just dropped some knowledge on us. Like, way to go. Man, don't be afraid to do that. And as we were talking about earlier with accepting wisdom from generations, to apply that same idea here, for those that are listening now, our friends, who do know a lot about Scripture, who do have a lot of that head knowledge, and you're, that is not something to brag about. Like, you have that information to give to someone else. Be patient, be humble, and 
speak truth whenever you see the opportunity. Because it's easy to get arrogant in it. The intellectual side of Christianity can seem kind Ooh. of, oh, you haven't figured, you can't explain the Trinity? Oh, dear. I just thought I of can, a- and I figured that out in seventh grade. <laughs> Because when we get smart, we start speaking with a British accent. Oh, indeed. <laughs> it is imperative that you repeat what I... You know, you know what I'm saying? Like well, I just thought of a good way to remember that. Knowledge. I just thought of a good way to remember that. Um, you ready? Uh, oh, I'm so ready. You ready? Condescend. Don't be condescending. So to condescend means to... Bring it to somebody's level where they can understand and accept it. To be condescending is to speak at your level and and look down on somebody because they don't understand. So condescend, don't be condescending. Boom! Oh, (laughs) grassrootswv.com. He's just walking out. (laughs) I just pushed the mic away. I mean, it's hard for me, too, because, you know, you talk about the same historical topic almost day in and day out, and someone asks a question, it's like, seriously? You don't know what continent? Okay. But (laughs) have you ever been in a position to where, because this happens more more at work than at grassroots, where I'm trying to explain something. You can just see in someone's eyes. It's like, they're not getting it. I will literally stop and be like, okay, here's the answer. Here's the Okay, you're not, we're not on the same page here. Let's just back up. Geometry. I don't know. But you know what I'm saying? Like, you can literally see if someone's not understanding it. It's like, okay, I'm messing up here. That's on me. I got the information. Like, how can I get to your level? There are seven continents. I've only been to one, so it only, it's the only one that exists. <laughs> I'm kidding. But you know what I'm saying? Like, share that knowledge. Don't boast. No, <laughs> we got to help each other out. Come on, repeat it. Come on. Y'all, we need to be, we need to condescend, but not be condescending. Darren ah, Cherry. Yes. Y'all appreciate you giving us time. You made it this far. You're awesome. Hopefully you found this here episode to be a blessing. Hey, we love you all. Thank you so much for giving us your time. Y'all have a good day. See you.